Welcome back to The Short Game, a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined by two of my awesome co-hosts this week, Nate Harninger and Shane the Toolman Kelly. What? 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 No. no. I will not <laughs> yep. allow it. I will not yeah. have. No. All right. I think that's, All right. I think that's it. All I think right. That's, that's it, now. it then. All right. Uh, you've got to update your Twitter bio if you're going to say that on the podcast. This is... Uh, this is our second week in a row covering a game from Apple Arcade. Not not really an intentional theme or anything like that. It just happened out this way. Uh, I wasn't really thinking of Manifold Garden so much as an Apple Arcade game uh, because I didn't play it on mobile. But this game, I definitely did. This week, we're talking about Bleak Sword, which is one of the more surprising entries uh, in the sort of Apple Arcade uh, initial launch lineup. Actually, I think it may have been like one or two weeks after the start of Apple Arcade. Yeah, and with Manifold Garden, that was a game that what we talked about last week, seven years in development and just sort of happened to be a part of Apple Arcade and, you know, the Epic Game Store and stuff. This one, I think, is a little bit more specifically for Apple Arcade. Yeah, it seems like the kind of thing that I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more games like this on Apple Arcade, this being a sort of self-contained, um, uh, you know, mobile-focused action game. Um, but there's some pretty interesting things about this game uh, that aren't really apparent on the surface. So I wanted to talk a little bit about it. Um, and uh, Nate was the one that I think played this first and decided that we ought to cover this on the show. Uh, what what stuck out about, about it for you, Nate? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, first of all, we I discovered this game in a funny way. It had nothing to do with actually like looking through Apple Arcade. Uh, Molly and I have this not tradition, but basically almost every single morning when we give uh, Lola breakfast, we say we have a Google home and we'll say, hey, Google, play Jim Guthrie. Uh, Jim Guthrie, super popular uh, video game composer, did like sword and sorcery and whatnot. His music is wonderful. And we use it as just sort of like background music at the house all the time. And the other day, a week or two ago, said did that, said, uh, hey, play Jim Guthrie. And a different song than what normally plays played. We're like, oh, nice. Jim Guthrie has new music. Decided to see what that song was from. Found that it was from uh, this game called Bleak Sword that he had done the music for on Apple Arcade. So I was like, well, I'll go play it because I like Jim Guthrie so much. I want to hear whatever work that he's done led to me downloading Bleak Sword and giving it a shot. So backed into this game uh, via the soundtrack, uh, <laughs> which I have never really done before. Uh, so that's how I found the game. Um, and then once we start, I started playing it, uh, I was just really, really, in, uh, really enjoyed the design of the game. We're going to talk about that here soon but it's very beautiful and uh, I enjoyed the challenge of it this game <laughs> is difficult and uh, for whatever reason it clicked with me um, I was able to beat it within like two hours or so and wow. just really enjoyed the experience and kind of bugged you guys to keep playing it and uh, here we are yeah and I definitely enjoyed it as well although I did not complete it and we'll talk about some of the challenges I ran into a little later but um, I think the first thing that stuck out about it for me was the visual style. You know, if you're scrolling yeah. through a list of and screenshots of all of the Apple Arcade games, this one stands out because 
unlike a lot of the others, it is doing a doing a pretty unique graphical style that is sort of. Uh, it's the 3D game with the levels set up as sort of little dioramas, but they're dioramas made up of extremely low, sort of lo-fi 2D black and white with occasional red accent uh, sprites. So you're playing as a character uh, that is made up of really stick figure like uh, white pixels on mostly black backgrounds. Um, uh, I would say that I might compare the visual style of this to something like, um, uh, oh, what would be a good point? So like in terms of color scheme, it reminded me a bit of things like Downwell, but in terms of just sort of yeah. the, the art style of the pixel art, it reminded me a little bit of sword and sorcery. Um, mm-hmm. it, it kind of like that, but that would very particularly in the shape of the player character. Um, the, the, the player character is, has this one thing in common with sword and sorcery that I've seen in zero other games, which is it is essentially a pixel art stick figure whose head is like one pixel wide. Yeah. It's kind of hard to actually tell where I guess if you interpret that as the head, I have almost been thinking of it as like the, the little p- whole pyramid part at the top is the head. I don't know. It's kind of hard to tell exactly where the head starts. The body stops. You can tell they very clearly holding a shield very clearly holding a big sword and clearly has two legs. The whole middle part of it is kind of hard to tell what part is supposed to be the armor, head, shoulders, etc. I think it's a really it's a really good art style though. Like I, I found it pretty yeah. appealing. Um, the, it's it's very 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 simple. But they've done some clever things to make these extremely simple one bit black and white uh, sprites stand out against a background by doing things like. Um, you know, they clearly convey depth with things like a slight uh, blur effect and by kind of dimming things as they recede into the background and so on. And so while it has these totally flat sprites, you you do feel like it's everything moving around in three dimensions. And I, I found it uh, worked really well in terms of just being able to, like, move around a uh, little diorama like 3D space and uh, which become these little combat arenas. Um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty neat art style that I think was functionally good for this, particularly considering that for most people, you're likely to be playing this on a pretty small screen. Yeah. They really get a lot of tone and complexity in these single screen, uh, as Apple arcade puts it dark fantasy dioramas. Uh, and the, the, it sort of tells the story. This game has an incredibly light story, but you basically start out in like a swamp and you make your way deeper and deeper into a castle uh, all the way towards the end. And each world is a very, very defined sort of palette of features. If you're out in the woods, there's gonna be a lot of trees and swamp and spiders. As you move more and more into the castle, um, you start entering into like towns and uh, areas that are really, really decorative and really fine and really, really nice. And, and, it just I thought they did such a good job with even in these little small one bit worlds, it really felt like you were in this space. And the uh, the spaces that you're in have these very like defined borders. You know, it, it feels a little bit like you're standing on a little platform that's like a little slice cut out of a larger world. So there'll be, you know, details like trees or bridges or other, you know, ruins or so on. And sometimes they're literally cut out. Uh, you, you know, the, the edges of the uh, of the sort of uh, arena are this sort of dotted line that 
feels like it's literally just been sliced out of a, a larger, mm-hmm. uh, more complex world. Um, it's very cool looking, and I I quite liked it. There's even one segment where um, those that like, sort of sliced out arena is actually a moving area as you and the enemies are galloping across um, a kind of uh, wasted landscape, which, you know, I, 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 I think that was one of the more unique, um, one of the, one of the more unique areas in the game. Yeah. That was pretty unique. Yeah. Although I, I wouldn't say that I loved the, uh, the like, not my favorite, Yeah, not, yeah, not my, not unique. my favorite, but still. Well, I thought it was a, it was a, it's a classic, like old school video game level, you know, remind me of like Battletoads, ha, you know, yeah. uh, rushing through the sewers or all of those arcade games from that era have the, exactly that level where you're flying left to right and enemies are catching up with you and you have to sort of fight them and knock them off their horse and they go tumbling away while new enemies sort of catch up with you and you fight them and they go tumbling away. Uh, yeah, th- that was though when the game to me, because I think that's the third world really was like, okay, they're going to try different things as you go throughout this game. They do uh, later, they do an interesting thing where the walls are closing in, you know, Star Wars uh, in the trash compactor style. And it adds like a timer to the fight uh, in an interesting way. And and they just keep playing with it. Uh, Most of the world is very dark with the features being uh, uh, white. You know, the, the background is black, but the, the trees, the land, everything is white. Uh, when you get into one stage, that all flips, and now it's a very regal area, and everything is white, and uh, the design, the walls, and everything is black. So it completely flips the color palette around. Uh, they they change it up constantly, which uh, I appreciate, because it's a relatively low amount of actual levels. I think like 80 or so. And levels is an interesting thing to talk about here because uh, this is, I mean, they don't really put this like front and center in the design description on the Apple Arcade page, but this is what you'd probably refer to as a Souls-like in terms of its combat at the very least. It's a uh, it's a game that's very heavily focused on reading the tells of your enemies. Uh, you know, in the combat, it's about trying to to learn their animations and their timing and their attacks and in you know largely avoiding attacks is like the the majority of what you're doing uh and try to to get in damage when you can um and so and it's also I, we'll talk about the difficulty in more detail there's some interesting stuff there but it's overall a pretty brutally difficult game can i interject sure, go ahead. i am not a fan of the term souls like um and <laughs> That is that is partially because I'm not a fan of of Dark Souls, but I I do just hear from as from someone who has played a lot of games that are described as Souls like uh, has tried Dark Souls and and wasn't really a fan of it. I just see that term get applied to anything with melee combat that is difficult, and I I have a hard time pinning down in this game in particular exactly what is so much like Dark Souls because sure. it really isn't all that like much like Dark Souls except in its bleak tone and the fact that it's melee combat focused. So I think there's a couple of very specific things here that are Souls-ish. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of share that some of your skepticism about that, Shane, but also Dark Souls, you know, like it or not, I didn't like the game that much either. And I know that makes us bad gamers, but like, like it or not, uh, it was incredibly influential and it has many very specific design decisions that Dark Souls made that have been 
widely copied. And so I, I, I don't know if I consider it a genre necessarily, but it is a sort of a collection of these design ideas that there are several in this game. You know, one is the, the, aspect of the combat that I mentioned before where it's largely about reading the tells of your enemies and avoiding uh, uh, and avoiding their attacks and uh, it's not just about difficulty it's about a specific kind of difficulty where like, enemies hit significantly harder than you do um, and uh, you're you're doing a lot of avoiding of their attacks um, secondly there's a sort of sort of uh, Dark Souls style progression here where um, similar to Dark Souls uh, you are uh, playing through different areas and leveling up. And when you die, you lose a significant amount of your progress. So in the case of this game, you lose all of the XP that you've collected going back to the last time that you leveled up. So, you know, when you level up, that sort of bakes in your XP as an actual stat increase, but in between level ups, your XP can all be lost when you die. Um, and also all of your items that you collect are lost when you die. Um, and also similar to Dark Souls, when you do that, you sort of drop that XP and items on the map um, and you can go back to that same level where you died and try it again. And if you if you complete it successfully on that second try, then you get all of that lost XP and items back. But if you lose on that level a second time, it's lost permanently. So that's a very so, dark. So that's what we're talking about here. I can't let this go just yet uh, because here, here are some games that I have tried uh, that have been described as dark souls. And let's see how many of those things apply to uh, as souls likes. So uh, Neo uh, hollow Knight. Uh, Hyperlight Drifter, Fury, uh, Dead Cells. Um, Shane, almost all of those have this progression mechanic that we were just describing about losing things like your XP or equivalents. Uh, like that is a that is no, a hallmark. not all of them. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, I don't. I haven't played all of those games, but all of the ones that I've played have that feature essentially. Um, and that was a big innovation of Dark Souls. I'm not trying to argue with you that like. Souls-like is a great term. Neither is Metroidvania. Yeah, it, it, but you know, we're we're in the discourse it, to now. To me, it just doesn't tell me that much about a game. Like, is a is Shovel Knight a Souls-like? Because that has that similar mechanic. Yes. According, Shovel, according okay, to fine. the discourse, everything's a Souls-like now. <laughs> well, no, like I think it's it's reasonable to to I don't. So yes, I agree that the word Souls-like is maybe a little bit broad and silly. But when we're talking about specific mechanics, you can't deny that this is drawing on Dark Souls. I don't know. I well, the developers definitely have said that it is in in various places. Okay, so, so I don't think it's a crazy <laughs> thing to argue. But anyway, those are the things that this seems to be drawing from Dark Souls is that that style of combat and the specifics of this progression mechanic. But what it throws away from Dark Souls that I think is very interesting is all of the exploration. You know, I, I think a big part of Dark Souls is the storytelling and exploration that is sort of non-linear, a little bit like Metroidy, in that you're like going out, finding your way through a large area, and then coming back usually to a central hub, unlocking a sort of shortcut or or finding new paths through a level that stays largely the same, but you're like exploring it and finding new ways to navigate it. Um, and this doesn't do that at all. There's no navigation or exploration in this at all. It replaces all of that with a uh, world and stage style progression that feels very Mario to me. Yeah, everything is presented to you. 
you're not going and finding anything uh, there. As best I can tell, there's no secrets. Everything is super telegraphed in this game. It is the enemies are easy to see and they're right in front of you and there's nowhere to go other than what's in the box in front of you. Uh, and so the game is entirely focused on uh, the combat and making it look and feel nice. And the feel is particularly like important and interesting here because like when I heard the the phrase like mobile souls like or when I saw this described as a brutally difficult action game and I was like on my iPhone, do I want to play yeah. a brutally difficult action game? I didn't expect this to work as well as it did, but it makes some really cool choices specifically with its touch controls. I, I can talk in a second too about you can also play this game with a controller and it's a very different experience, but let's start. Let's talk first about the touch controls, which are, I think, really, really good. Yeah, it's really what makes this game work. The 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 simple one-touch controls. So one of the things that, for me, makes a really great mobile game is vertical screen orientation and can I play it with one hand. And that's why I gravitate to a lot of mobile games that are puzzle games because they are uh, things where I, you know, I can play it while I'm standing around with, you know, or I could play it while I'm walking the dog. You know, I've got a leash in one hand. I could have my game in the other. Um, now, this game definitely requires more kind of attention and quick response than a puzzle game. But what it doesn't need is two hands. And it doesn't need you to, you know, use even more than a single finger to to play. And so, so what it gives you is... First off, there's only one kind of movement, and that is the dodge roll, and you do that by swiping. So that kind of also is helped by the fact that you're not navigating these spaces. These are combat arenas. You are just dodging enemies as they swarm you. Um, so you swipe to do a dodge roll. Then you tap and hold for a brief moment to ready your sword, and then swipe in order to make an attack. And if you do a slightly longer tap and hold, then you'll do a charged attack uh, that deals more damage. Uh, there's kind of two stages of how long you're holding. It's either for a very brief instant or for like even a, a another slightly longer fraction of a second to do the charged attack. Uh, and the charged attack has a slightly shorter range, but hits harder. Yeah, and your sword slightly glows when you're about to do the That's heavy right. attack. So yeah, and there's see. an audio cue as well. I think audio is actually, you know, apart from the terrific music, I think the audio cues in this game are actually very important. Yeah, I agree. There's also a block that you can do by just doing a simple tap, uh, which readies your shield. Uh, and that lasts for a moment and any incoming attack uh, or any light incoming attack uh, is then deflected. And then if you've blocked an attack, it actually refills your stamina bar. We haven't talked about the stamina bar, but mm -hmm. many actions use stamina. And you can follow up with a pair. Another extremely Souls-like element here, the, the <laughs> specifically the use of a stamina bar and using uh, blocks as a major mechanic with uh, with like block and parry or block and riposte kind of, uh, kind of combat. Mm -hmm. um, very Souls-y. Uh, and, you know, again, I'm not a souls expert, but like, uh, like this to me was like this, this is like a really specific dark souls influence here on the combat. Uh, yeah. And so the one handed play is really interesting and that's how I started the game. Uh, it does also offer two handed on the iPhone. Uh, and I really, really appreciated this. This is how I ultimately played the majority of the game. Uh, the only thing that it separates or the only thing that it does differently is it now cuts 
the bottom half of the screen in, into two halves. With the right side, you're completely managing movement. So if you swipe right uh, on the bottom, your character will move to the right. Uh, and however, whichever way you swipe, your character is going to move and you can go really, really fast. Uh, rolling does not use any stamina. So uh, you can just keep rolling around the map. With your left hand on the left side of the screen, it's the same type of control Shane just described for attacking, but it's now separated. So a, a quick tap does block, a quick hold does a single attack, and then a longer hold does a heavy attack. And because they're now separated between your between your fingers, I found it way easier to roll around the map, set up an attack, make the attack, and then escape. Uh, so if you watched me play this game, it probably looked very, very frantic because I was basically just tech rolling around the entire map the entire time, getting in hits and getting away and staying on the other side of the map from the uh, enemies. I will say there were some times where it was going fast and I'd sort of, my hands would be moving and I'd sort of lose where the split was. You know, I have the iPhone 11, uh, so it's pretty big, but not like the biggest screen. And I'd find myself trying to, tap on the right side because my left thumb has sort of moved a little bit and I'd not be able to attack. So there was some frustration every once in a while where I get going and my sort of hands would miss the area that I'm supposed to hit, uh, which would be not a thing on single with, with the one handed play. But overall I found it way more manageable using hmm. the two hands. I think it's interesting because I actually preferred the one handed uh, style because and even on when I was playing on an iPad where the screen was quite wide and that wasn't an issue, like I had uh, that specific problem you were talking about quite a bit with the two-handed style on the phone. Um, even on the iPad, I ended up finding myself preferring the one-handed uh, style just because, correct me if I'm wrong, but even if you're doing the two-handed, I don't really think you can charge an attack while moving. No. Yeah. There's no, there's no actual ability difference. It just, it helped me to be able to, but like, one, my right thumb was purely about movement. And one of the things I really like about this game, and I think how that is smart on mobile, is that the swipe, you're moving the direction that you swipe, so it feels very, very natural. That was Almost very every, good. every other game that on iPhone that has quick movement, it's almost always some dumb version of a virtual D-pad or whatever, or virtual stick or whatever, and it always feels clunky. Uh, trying to mimic a video, you know, a video mm -hmm. game controller. This, it felt super natural. I want to go top left. So I'm going to swipe like really quickly top left and my guy will roll there. It reminded me of Severed in that way where mm, Severed that took, bit, yeah. uh, Severed took the actions that we're all comfortable with on a phone and turned it into a game. Uh, and it felt great. And that's what this game did as well. And just for whatever reason, th it, there's no, Op, uh, ability difference between two handed, but it helped me being able to separate like this is my this is my attack hand and this is my move hand, mm. and it just helped me separate them. Uh, speaking of differences, what I think is really really interesting about this game is that you know like everything on Apple Arcade, uh, this is available to play on you know your iPhone, iPad, and also on your Mac, and also on the Apple TV, and on the Apple TV and Mac. Uh, you can play this with a, I mean, you can also play this, you can play this with a game controller on any of those on the, on the Mac. That's really the seemingly intended way to play this game. 
And when you connect a game controller to this game, it it absolutely changes in some pretty significant ways. The biggest one is that when you're doing the touch controls, all of the movement is done with dodge rolls. There's no gesture to just sort of like walk around the map. You're always dodge rolling to move, which makes it feel, uh, I mean, that actually really, really works for the touch controls. It's a really smart decision. It's kind of silly at first, frankly. But it also means that you might not be able to position yourself in exactly the spot that you want to. You are kind of gesturing in the direction you want to dash. Um, you can get quite good with that by doing, you know, chaining little dashes around. Um, but when you switch to the controller, you you gain a movement that you don't have with the uh, with the dodge roll. You know, there's a dodge roll button and there's a stick for movement. If you press the stick in any direction, you're walking in that direction. And then if you um, press the stick and do the dodge roll, then you're then you're dodge rolling. It feels very natural to a controller, uh, but it's something that you can't do. Uh, when you're doing the touch controls. Um, and the, what a weird thing to give up um, on a touch it's screen. It's like walking. Yeah, weird, right? Yeah, it's like they had to prioritize the controls and they prioritize for, for, for one-handed play. And the first thing that they dropped was walking, which is very strange, but it works. Yeah, it does work. I think it could have worked if they were doing, if you're using the two sides of the controller thing to do a tap and drag on the movement side of the touchpad or touchscreen rather uh, to do a walk. But even there, like they they don't do that. Um, I think they probably play tested that and decided against it. The other thing that's really odd about it though is that, and I, I don't have like a absolute confirmation of this, but I switch back and forth quite a bit between the touch control and the controller based interface on this game. And um, there were some levels that I found easier on touch controls, other levels that I found easier on uh, the controller. But by and large, I think that the game is tuned to be harder when you're playing with a controller. Um, so like some of the bosses seem to be sort of like more aggro when you are playing on a controller. And there were some other small differences. You know, you get the same number of enemies, but I think some subtle there's and you get the same amount of health and so on. But I think there's some subtle differences. It's hard to exactly put my finger on, but I think that they they tried to compensate for those that extra ability you get when you're playing with a controller by tuning the difficulty to be harder. And in some ways, actually, I found that it that made it easier like on some levels that were really challenging to switch to touch controls, which is a, a, a like experience that I have never had being like, wow, these, these gamepad controls are too hard. Let me switch to the touch controls. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I never felt at all limited by the ability to not walk in this game because I felt it was so f- like, th- again, the, the, the swiping was so responsive. Uh, that was never a struggle for me in this game is moving in the moving where and how I want to go. Uh, the struggle for me was always the lining up the attacks and hitting, yeah. them, hitting them in the direction that I wanted to and uh, mm-hmm. being able to not get hit um, after yeah. missing my own attacks. And, and that that is another way that the touch controls are a little easier. The uh, both the touch controls and the gamepad controls when you attack, you're basically uh you're like flicking in the direction that you want to attack. But on the gamepad, that means holding the attack button until your your attack sort of charges up and then flicking the right stick in the direction that you want to attack. And that didn't feel very natural to me at first. It took some getting used to. I've never really been used to sort of like flicking a stick to attack. Um, 
and uh, it, you know it, it, that particular interaction felt more more natural on a touch screen. So um, you know, it, it, I would try both, and I actually think that the the Mac version of this was pretty interesting to play. Like it switches to a horizontal orientation rather than a vertical orientation, and you get a much larger view of the sort of dioramas. Um, and you know, playing with a controller was a different and interesting experience. And I very much appreciated the ability to switch back and forth at pretty much any time. Apple Arcade uh, has as a sort of design point, all of the games are, you know, in sync between your different platforms and you can switch platforms pretty much any time and carry on where you left off. And I did that quite a lot with this game. I switched to my phone, I switched to my iPad, I switched to my Mac and played this game on all of them. Yeah, that's a, it's a really interesting um, thing I think developers are going to have to continue to work on and figure out is... If you have a game on Apple Arcade, how do you make it workable on any and every platform? And this is a game, I think the first that we've seen that they've really made an effort to create different experiences depending on what platform you're playing it on and at least give you choices. That's the one thing that like is really sticking out to me is that this is a relatively simple game as far as what and how it gets played. Now it's difficult because of the challenge of it, but like the controls are pretty simple, but we've just spent, you know, 15 minutes talking about all the different ways you can decide how to play this game. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty cool. It is. Yeah. It, it, there's so much flexibility with this. Uh, you know, there, there are some things that I could have wished they would do differently. Like, I, I feel like if you're, you know, if you're, while you're at it, reworking the, uh, the controls for a gamepad, I wish they would have changed the way that the attacks work. Like give me an attack button rather than a like button to charge and then flick a stick to attack. I just found that really. Um, yeah, that sounds, that sounds like difficult. Yeah, it, it was, it was tricky to do. Um, I'm sorry. I think I said right stick, by the way, it's the left stick. It's the same stick that you use to move, but you do still have to follow that, uh, follow that button hold with a stick flick to, to direct the control. And like, let me just, I don't know, make that work more like a regular action game. I would have had a, had a, an easier time with the controls. Um, and there were some other weird quirks I ran into. Um, I had, I had some trouble with the difficulty in this game. You know, like I said already, like I'm not a souls guy and, um, I found that there were some difficulties. And yet you podcast. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I found there was some, some difficulty spikes in this game, not even bosses, but just like random levels where they'd introduce a new type of enemy or maybe just they'd introduce a second one of them at a time or something. And I would just hit an absolute wall and fight that same level, like eight, 10, 12 times in a row trying to get past it. And it see that drove that was nuts. kind of my experience too. But the, the, the weird thing that's extremely non soulsy uh, here is that the, the bosses were among the easiest levels. Like the bosses, I would say just generally the boss design here is not a strong point. Like I, I would get to a boss and I'd be like, ah, finally something I can just, I can beat in one try. But the, <laughs> The 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 average levels, you know, the, the each little mini world had 10 levels, right? And the 10th would be the boss. Um, usually like one through five were pretty easy. And by the time you get to like six, seven, and eight, there were going to be levels that I was going to have to um, reapproach a few times. So, you know, I, yeah. I, I found that just generally the levels were pretty easy 
um, except those like mid to late game levels. Mm -hmm. And what would happen for me is I would play them um, because you have this sort of anti-snowballing effect, or I guess, I don't know if you call it snowballing or or the reverse, but but here, if you've been playing a series of levels successfully, then you're going to have a few items and we haven't talked about the items and, and, and stuff like that, but you'll, you'll, if you've gone through a series of levels successfully, uh, you've likely progressed and leveled up. And in addition to that, you've accumulated one or two of these stat buffing items, which makes net, you know, the next level that you're going to attempt easier. So I don't know what the what the intended like play style that they're trying to support with that is. Like, do they want you to go back and play through easy levels in order to grind for XP and then snowball with some items into the harder levels? Because that's, that's what I ended up. That's having what to I do. wound up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and but the the a lot of the way that the game is constructed doesn't really. Um, doesn't really indicate that at all. Like it, it does, it does feel kind of like you're cheesing some of the harder levels to be, to be doing that. Um, like the, the flow of the game is just like hit next to hit that next level, hit that next level. Um, and you have to like, you know, use a back button and, and back out uh, at the end of a level in order to achieve that. And if you try and back out in the middle of a level, you, you know, you might as well have died. You've just lost everything. So um, that, that part of it, it is a little weird. Nate, how was your experience? Were you, um, did you find any of these places where you had to do a little grinding or, or you, you told me earlier in the slack, you were like, Oh, this is an easy game. Huh? I didn't say it was an easy game. Uh, no, you I were never totally flexing on both of us though. You really, yes, were. for sure. I was. <laughs> so we just did a whole bunch of games that I was like, I'm not great at this. And then every once in a while we land on a game that I, for whatever reason, it, you know, it really clicks with me. Um, and this is one of those, so I try not to, uh, flex too much, but, um, I, I don't know. I just, I never went back and played a single level again. Um, I definitely had some struggles with your, your breakdown of it is exactly right. Levels one through five, uh, or like area stages one through five for each area usually felt like introductory levels. They're like, here, we're going to introduce a new bad guy. You learn their moves and uh, you're going to fight maybe one or two of them. It's going to get a little bit more difficult. And then six, seven, eight, and nine were often like endurance tests. It would be, they're longer than you'd expect it to be. There's more things than you'd expect it to be. Uh, the challenge in this game is usually more than one bad guy at a time. That's why I agree completely. I think the bosses were pretty easy. In fact, the final boss I beat on the first try. And it was the only boss I even beat on the first try, which was pretty silly i thought i was like oh well i thought that would be more of a challenge but it's because there's only one thing on the screen uh and it's usually it's pretty manageable if there's just one bad guy on the screen you can see when they're gonna attack and you can just get out of the way it's when there's three or four different things on the screen that are all attacking in different ways where it gets really really challenging and no i never really went back uh and i never really thought about the items very much because generally I would die a couple times and lose all of them and they, they're not significant boosts, you know? So you have three stats, you have health shield and sword and your sword stat might be 13 and you pick up an item that gives you plus one sword. So it's like now it's 14 and yeah, that's nicer, but that's not a game changing 
stat increase. So I never really felt that uh, the items were that necessary to get by. In fact, I there's consumables uh, with where they give you health. Uh, most of the time, I'd forget that I have them and die without using them, which is stupid. That's not a uh, a you know a good thing. But I just never really interacted with the item, and I would just play the level again. Uh, I did get to the point like in order to beat a lot of these levels, I'd kind of you know figure out what order things would spawn in. And just try to be right at it and kill it before it could even really enter into the battlefield, uh, if I could. So um, that was a you know a thing that I spent a lot of time on. But no, I know I I never found it so challenging that I was like that I had to put it down. Uh, so Nate brought up uh, the music. Who is that uh, composer again? Nate, Jim Guthrie. But the the sound design just generally on this game was super good. You know, of course, it's it's it is as you mentioned, really good music. Um, but it, it is one of these games where a lot of hinting comes in from uh, the sound. Like every one of your abilities, timing is so important, and there are sound cues associated. There are you know little, little flashes and things like that as well. Um, and I to get more visual uh, feedback, I also did go in and turn on a setting uh, that gives you a little ring that appears around your character that shows you their attack range, which if you are having any kind of trouble with this game, I definitely recommend turning that setting on. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, sorry. Yeah. The, uh, the, I forgot to mention that when I was talking about difficulty, like I found this game really difficult to play without the attack range indicators. Um, turning that on made a huge difference for me. Yeah. Even if you just do it for the first few levels, um, you know, it, it's, it's really handy. Um, if, if you've played with it for maybe one of the worlds, you could probably turn it off and still, and still have a pretty good handle on the, um, on the attack range, but it's also something you just leave on if you feel like, yeah, it. I, I left it on pretty much the whole time because it, it helped me figure out like there's certain, um, a big part of this is figuring out like, okay, can I get close enough to attack this enemy without like prompting an attack from them? Or if I prompt an attack from them, like, uh, and you know, how do I do that? And then be close enough to follow up. And, uh, that, that was, that was huge. So yeah, I, I, I played with that on the entire time. Yeah, I didn't, I turned it on. I think, uh, once I became aware, aware of it by way of Shane, and I think I turned it on in the fourth area and left it on the rest of the game. It really made things more manageable. Overall, we're just talking about how flexible the game in game is in terms of how you can play it, which is always a good thing. Um, this is a difficult game, but it's one with high accessibility. Um, so bravo to it. I, we talked about the sound design too. I, I also really want to just talk about the general kind of presentation and design. We talked about these levels and how adorably ugly and grim they are. But it, it one thing it's also worth mentioning is this game has a lot of the trappings of a much more elaborate kind of game. So it, it has these cutscenes that introduce each level and each boss and, and then kind of the downfall of each boss. Or it's what is it when you first enter an area and then when you first fight the boss? Yeah. And then when you defeat the boss. Yeah. So it's um, there's not much story to this game, uh, but there is. A little bit, uh, which is yeah. basically like your character is on a journey to fight the evil overlord from the bleak realm who has Something the bleak like sword. 
it actually starts out with a like the game opens with a full on like text on screen. Oh, there was explaining. too much, too much. Yeah, ex- I tuned out halfway through. I was just like, let me start hitting <laughs> these with like, a sword. Come on. There's like Eric, the bad guy. I, I don't know. They're, they it really actually opens up, making you think that like, oh wow, okay, the the story of this game, this epic journey my character is going to go on, is going to be a core part of it with like backstory and character names and and like a rise to power and all of this. And then it, it continues these cutscenes, but they're more like I don't know. They're more like cute and uh, funny than they are like epic or anything and you lose all of the the names and the characters and all mm-hmm. that kind of fall to the wayside uh i know you're like collecting orbs one nice thing is you can go back uh to a bestiary where you can see all of the um all of the enemies and little descriptions of them um and i actually found that useful in a couple of instances there first off it is nice just to be able to go back and and see all the different kind of enemies you've fought uh, and the way that they present that is actually really uh, nicely built. Like it, it has that same kind of diorama feel uh, as you kind of swipe through the enemies. But I got to one point in the game where I was fighting those spirits. You remember the little ghosts that kind of float around? Yeah. And I couldn't figure out. I knew that some, sometimes when I was hitting them, I was dealing very little damage, like one damage. And sometimes I was hitting them, I was dealing half their health. And I couldn't figure out why. So I read their description and that explained like, okay, they're ethereal. Uh, you have to hit them really hard to disperse them or something like that. And, you know, okay, so now you now you understand you've got to use the charge attack. Um, you also can go back and take a look at all the bosses. Um, what boss was you guys' favorite? Because my favorite boss was the giant floating head in the sewer. It was extremely good. Um, it, it had this sort of like weathered giant skull. And then the description that you get of it in the bestiary is like extra good because it says uh it says explicitly uh yes this is the the skull of a corpse uh blown up to giant size by evil magic and it also goes out of its way to make the point that no it's not intelligent <laughs> which is like okay <laughs> all right um i care what his name is it's like kraz or something like that they all have names they all have stuff like that there's some uh i wouldn't say there's deep lore to this game but there is like descriptions for everything to, to put things into context. So, so what was your favorite boss? Um, you know, I, I'm actually running through the, uh, the bestiary right now, and I don't know if I have a favorite boss, but I do. This one uh, was one of the first bosses, and I just thought the uh, design of it is really cool. It's Ick-O the Plague. Uh, and then if you look at the bestiary, it says, this large creature is the greatest danger of the Ulborg, as old as the very swamp. Ik-O is known to the common folk as the plague. It uses its surroundings to its advantage, and very few people have escaped alive after an encounter with this foul being. So they're really going for it with these uh, character descriptions and designs. It's really, really nice. It really is. I don't know if I have a favorite boss, but I I, I do think like the it had, it had a fair amount of variety uh, with the enemies, even if... You know, ultimately, their design kind of boiled down to some of them wait longer or shorter amount of time before hitting you. Some of them do a dash attack at you, that kind of thing. I can definitely tell you what my least favorite was, which was the (laughs) spiders. The spiders stopped me for a very long time. The spider enemies can do a very long distance, like totally across the map shot with a uh, with a web that will 
restrict your ability to dodge roll, which really sucks in this game. Um, and then they also do an attack that seems to have no opening animation, like almost impossible to detect that they're about to do it. And they do it from far enough away that you might not even notice that they're there. Or if you do, you're probably not watching them because you're probably dealing with things that are closer to you. And they're, so these, these spiders just like, I, they just wrecked me. One spider, I could handle it because I would just go prioritize killing the spider and be done. But sometimes there were two or three spiders and it, it was just like, it was hard and not fun hard. I did not like fighting the spiders at all. Really, really hated them. Um, but once I got past the spiders, I don't know. There was you know, there was better design for a lot of the other enemies. Um, I, I think another thing I want to talk about that I thought was weird about this game um, in terms of just like, enemy design, I guess, or I don't know what to attribute this to. Um, the game seems to set up very early on, like it puts a lot of its tutorialization muscle behind telling you about how to do the blocks um, and how to follow up a block with an attack. So it, it's, it's uh, it being a souls like it sort of like I was preconditioned to expect this. And it put a lot of effort into teaching you that like you can, you know, you have a stamina meter, um, attacks use stamina, but if you block an attack and then follow it up with a strike, uh, then it refills your stamina meter instantly. So theoretically, if you're being attacked, you know, consistently, but you can pull off a fairly difficult, you know, sequence of, uh, block and strike, block and strike, you could chain those infinitely if you were, you know, if you were, uh, uh, playing well. Um, and so that was sort of how I was focused on playing for the early game. And I don't know if this is my skill or what, but like with a lot of the later enemies, first of all, they start having unblockable attacks. And secondly, they uh, they start attacking in more unpredictable ways. And the idea of being able, and you fight multiples of them at a time, and that became almost impossible to do. Um, so what felt at the start of the game, like it was supposed to be sort of the core loop of the combat, this sort of, um, maybe not frenetic, but actually sort of more, uh, responsive, like, uh, by not like, not like responsive controls, but meaning like your, your, uh, combat is about responding to attacks rather than about just dodge roll avoidance. Um, and like randomly like, you know, tech rolling all over the, all over the game, uh, like, yeah, it's, I don't know. It, like, it seemed like it was teaching me a way to play the game that didn't end up working long-term. And I ended up having to fall back to like, like Nate was like, mm, I'm not playing that way. Just do a bunch of rolls. And I was like, oh, that seems dumb. <laughs> and then I did that and it, it helped. So I, I found that frustrating because I felt like I was being taught a interesting combat system that then fails to work later on. I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. I, uh, so, yeah, I mean, you were saying that in the Discord, and I don't know that I ever once, like, was like, okay, here comes an attack. I'm going to purposefully block it and then counterattack. I was more... Which like, is I weird in a game like yeah. this, that you you never engage with that system. That seems like it's like half of the combat, or seems yeah. like it, right? I don't know. I, but I ended up finding a lot of enjoyment in the, like freneticness of it sure because when when it gets to the where there's four or five enemies on the screen that I, I found that to be the only way to be successful is to sort of be panicked <laughs> running around 
uh, getting in hits where you can and mostly just dodging the entire enemy sprite and staying completely away from combat instead of like inviting attacks to block it. That felt counterintuitive. I just to sort me. of find that so strange, though. Like, the, like if you, yeah. everything from the description to the aesthetic to the like video screenshots in the app store all seem to like lead you to believe that this is going to be a game about that sort of not slow but slower non frenetic style of combat. Right? That's what yeah. I thought I was getting into here, and it turns out that's not an effective way to play this game. I when I when I switched from doing that to doing this sort of like dodge roll heavy, just like spam dodge until you get a hit in kind of kind of thing. I felt like I was cheesing the game. I didn't feel like I was playing it correctly, even though that seemed to be mm. the only way that I could get get through it. It was weird. Yeah. No, I don't disagree. Uh, I didn't feel the game pointing me in any one direction. You know, I th- like it. I think it just sets up what you can do at the beginning and then it's up to you to use it how you want. You know, and and I definitely things were blocked uh, from time to time, but I just I never it was never my intention to like I'm going to purposefully go in and try to engage and block the attack to get a counterattack. I would block if I had to, um, but that was more like a quick reaction to me messing up rather than a like purposeful engagement in combat. I absolutely blocked more as the game got towards the late game because Uh, I actually felt like it got to be a more useful strategy, especially in the last one or two um, big areas. Uh, They were putting these much uh, beefier enemies on you, like enemies that would do like two or three long lunging attacks at you. Uh, And it's a lot less effective to dodge those enemies because you really have to roll the whole way across the map. Uh, you know, and they they drop one or two of them on you uh, at a time, usually. For those enemies, it actually does become much more effective to do the block and parry because you don't give up that much ground or get chased into a corner um, or chased into another enemy. So with those, you know, you might you might do, uh, you know, might dodge the first attack and then, you know, block and parry uh, the second attack. And then while they're off, you might charge and, and do another slash to, to finish them off. So, so the, there is a balance to the play style when it comes the thing that disappointed me about this game really wasn't the play style itself, which I, I felt like was you know pretty balanced and fairly nuanced for something I could do with one thumb. Um, it was the items. Um, I feel like this is a game where like they, Every time you level up, you're you're making a choice between a couple of different stats, and there really are just three stats. There's your health, there's your defense, and there's your attack. And that is the total extent of the builds in this game. Something like a Dark Souls like has this huge diversity of different ways that you can build a character. And this game has I mean, none of none of the choices I was making really felt meaningful. Like I, I, I would get to a point where, oh, I'm I'm realizing it's taking me, you know, two charged hits to kill off a average enemy now instead of one, uh, or the big guys are taking me three or four, uh, so I better be leveling up my attack. Um, leveling up my defense never really felt super valuable. I, I, it was the sort of thing I was always trying to keep up with my other stats. 
Um, and then like, if I had to choose, I would, I would, you know, you know, it was a toss up whether I would pick to level up my health or to level up my, uh, like attack felt like something I had to level up. And then the other two felt like, well, if I can't level up attack, I'll, I'll pick whichever one is lower. So none of this ever really felt like interesting choices or felt like I was, um, picking a play style, like going heavy on defense doesn't feel like something that's going to be. You know, maybe it is a va- a valid playstyle, but it doesn't it doesn't feel like one that would be very fun? Um, you know, or just leveling up your health the whole way, like, and all of the items. Um, some of the items you'll pick up give you just a flat buff to one of the stats. Like that's not very interesting. Some of them are a consumable health item that'll help you maybe make it to that next level up and lock in your stats, but that's still not very interesting. Uh, and then some of them give you like a minus to one stat and a plus to another. That's a little bit interesting. Uh, some of most of those are temporary. Some of them are permanent. Those are, you know, those are very valuable in a game where, you know, you're likely to lose a lot of XP to just random deaths. But none of those items and none of the ways that you customize your character felt very uh, meaningful or interesting. Like, I feel like this is a game that could really benefit from maybe some alternate weapons make something that changes my range, something that, um, you know, affects how my stamina works or, or anything. There's like a big wide open space in terms of like what you could do to customize the character and the play style in this game that just feels totally unexplored. Yeah, I agree. I would love to see an expansion of this game in this world and add more uh, diversity to what the character does. I, I definitely agree that the I think the leveling up was just to sort of keep you balanced with the difficulty of the enemies and not anything about really customizing your character to a play style. Um, I also prioritized attack and uh, I basically the ranking I would do would be uh, power. So your attack, your health bar and then uh, d- defense after that. I think I beat the game at level 24. Uh, so I had a lot of times to select that is I think the game generally balances if you can complete two or three stages in a row without dying twice, you'll tend to earn a level up. And so what I would find is that I would earn a couple level ups at the beginning of each area and then just die through the last you know four areas before beating the boss. Which I think normally if you beat the boss, you get a level up as well or a lot of XP that'll likely level you up. So before we wrap up, I wanted, since this was the second Apple Arcade game we've played in a row, I wanted to talk real quick just about like where we're at on Apple Arcade now that it's been out for a while and we're, now that it's been out for a while and we're all still subscribed to it, I presume. Um, I mean, I, I was <coughs> I was impressed with the multi-device syncing that I was able to do on this. And I think when a game like has given serious consideration to the different play styles on different devices, this can be a really compelling thing. Um, and uh, so I really appreciated that, even though I occasionally had trouble with it. Um, the, the multi-device syncing thing, Apple seems to have like a standard interface that they want developers to use, which is that when you have switched to a new device, the first time you launch the game on the new device, it will show a screen that lets you choose between your most recent save from the device that you're holding versus the most up-to-date save in iCloud, right? Um, And while I appreciate that flexibility, I do kind of wish it would uh, 
first of all, make it clearer without having to like peep at the timestamps on them, which one is the most up to date, right? Like a game usually can tell you things like, okay, what is the level that I have gotten to that's, you know, farthest along. And yes, this shows, well, actually this game doesn't show you that. It shows you which level you're currently on, not which the one that you're farthest along on is. It doesn't show you like a percentage completion or anything like that. Um, there were a couple times where I chose the wrong one and then had to do a bit of a like emergency dance where I'd go back to whatever device I was playing on before and try and get it to upload its save again so that I didn't lose progress. Um, and even there were a couple times where I lost some progress because this happened particularly on the controller. It pops up that screen. I don't know if you guys are like me, but when I boot up a game, I usually just sort of start hitting A or X or whatever a bunch on the controller to try and get into it, right? To get past the title yeah. screen. And I I did that. I was doing that like to try and get past the title screen. And then it popped up the, uh, the save selection screen and it does not automatically have your cursor hovering over the most recent one. So I ended up accidentally selecting to revert back to an older save. Oops. Uh, just because I happened to be holding a controller and doing what people do when they're holding controllers, which is hit A a bunch nice. when you're on a title screen or whatever, right? Um, so I found that a little bit frustrating, even though like I still really appreciate that they've made it a requirement for this uh, for this subscription model that all of the games sync your progress between all of the platforms they're available on. That's huge. And really good. And I really, really appreciate that feature about it. Yeah. Um, I've done none of the syncing between multiple platforms yet. Uh, I've exclusively been, uh, interacting thus far, uh, on my phone, except for manifold garden, which I played, uh, from the beginning really on, uh, my iMac. Uh, I will say, you know, early thoughts on Apple arcade that I've definitely spent more time playing games on my phone since the launch of Apple Arcade than I had for like the year leading up to it. Now that might be, because, that's how they get you. Yeah. I was going to say, I, you know, I think that might've been in part of the, the drought of games that we talked about when Apple Arcade first kind of launched because everybody was, you know, stuck behind the Apple Arcade wall to be able to announce, but here we are on the other side of it. And there are a lot of great games that I've really been enjoying. Uh, I've talked about a lot of the games in the what's making me happy section uh, for, you know, since the launch, what the golf grindstone, there's a ton of great games that mm -hmm. I've been really, really enjoying. I, I'm, I'm still sticking with my Apple Arcade subscription, mostly because, well, you know, I want to cover things for the show, but also grindstone. <laughs> I'm not done with it yet. I'm still continuing to plug away at grindstone. Uh, you know, honestly, a game as good as grindstone, um, you know, if it was doing a uh, like an in-app purchase model. I might or might not spend money on it eternally or whatever, but I'd probably put five bucks a month into it just to continue getting, I don't know, whatever. But I feel way better at just spending five bucks a month on an Apple Arcade subscription than I do about spending money in a uh, in a exploitative free-to-play model. And uh, things like Grindstone make me feel like I'm getting my money's worth on that. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm excited to continue to, there's, there's a bunch of games on Apple Arcade that I haven't tried yet that I really, really want to. I really want to get around to trying um, Mutazioni, the uh, uh, the sort of um, adventure game. Um, I've also played a good bit of and haven't completed um, uh, uh, Tangle Towers, and it looks really fun. Or I, I was having fun with it. It's a, you know, really neat little mystery point and click. Um, and there's just, you know, there's just a ton of games on there that not all of them are for me, but like they're, I, I think this is the first thing that Apple has done with games that hasn't sucked. 
<laughs> I think I would I'm I'm really on the cusp of like whether or not I would keep this for next month or or not. Like I, there is that inertia of like okay, I'm just going to keep it because I I'm still playing a little bit of grindstone, but like I I don't want a game like a grindstone that is a puzzle game. Like there are other games that that I could play, you know, that are just kind of past the time puzzles uh, as good as that one is. Um I am 100% on board for things like Manifold Garden. Manifold Garden is the was the peak of Apple Car- Apple Arcade for me so far. And this game I think is also the kind of experience that I want out of Apple Arcade, which is things that I can pick up and finish like and complete. Um I don't want to get into a subscription every month where I'm just playing the same game forever. You know, like if, if, it, if there is, if there was an option to just buy grindstone outright, I would do that. And then I probably would cancel Apple arcade because I finished this game around the middle of the week. And then I went back on the app store and I was like, well, let me look and see what it is that I wanted to tackle next. And I saw a lot of things that were just like, not my style, like, you know, all, props to the people doing tangle tower or stuff like that. But like adventure games are not my jam. Um, and puzzle games are really particular. Like I've, I've tried a few of the other puzzle games that are on Apple arcade and none of them in- immediately grabbed me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am at a point where I, I could, I could walk away, you know, I, 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 I get that. I, I'm, I'm here for the stuff that we're playing, but like, if I don't find a new Apple arcade game that I'm like really wanting to play this week. I'm, I might just cancel the subscription. So, Hey, you know, it is, it is a subscription. It is $5 a month that you don't necessarily need to be spending. I totally feel that. So, you know, um, with you there, but, uh, for me, it's been mostly pleasant surprises and, uh, enough to, enough to let me, you know, let them hit my credit card every month without me feeling bad about it. So, um, and, Speaking of feeling bad about things, what's making us happy this week? (laughs) (laughs) What a segue. Yes. Um, I'll go first. So this is a bit of a spoiler for a future episode, but when thinking about what, uh, you know, what I've been doing over the last week that's been making me happy outside of just like family holiday fun, uh, I've been finally really digging into Outer Wilds, which is a game that uh, Reagan has been uh, oh, yeah. trying to get us to play, and then Shane went in real deep and kind of got all the rest oh, of us I, back. Oh, I was on really board. trying to get us to play it back when it first came out, but then for yeah. a variety of reasons, I ended up not being able to finish it at the time. I forget. I think I had to pack up my consoles or something for a while, or no, it was, it was playing on a. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I had to stop, and then I never actually finished it. And then Shane yeah. finished it. You were playing on PC. I yeah. wanted to pl- wait for it to come out on PS4. Yeah, but it's out on PS4 now, uh, as well as on Xbox One. So. Yeah, and I've been playing it on PS4, and I have been really enjoying it. It there there is uh, it, it it accomplishes a lot of things that I think a lot of games have tried to do um, over the past uh, few years in a better way than they have been able to do. Uh, it's not perfect. I am it is finicky at times, uh, but I am really really enjoying it. So I'm looking forward to talking about it uh, more in depth soon. Yeah, one of the best exploration and puzzle experiences that I've had uh, in a really long time, and I can't wait to talk about it for the show. Well, what's making me happy this week is getting to dive back into um, one of my uh, kind of sub hobbies, uh, which is, you know, as a dungeon master for Dungeons and Dragons, 
Um, it's important that I be able to field a large collection of tiny monster boys. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I am always kind of have, have one eye out for cool miniatures that I can, uh, can pick up and that I'm looking forward to painting. Right. Um, sometimes I'll, you know, buy the pre-painted ones, but I prefer to be able to paint them myself self. It's, it's a Zen element of the, of the game. And it, it lets me sit and think about like, well, really what, what would this creature actually be like and how do I want it to look? And then, you know, I, I really, uh, I really get a lot of enjoyment out of that. So, uh, during the past week, um, I got to, I, I got these miniatures that are one of my favorite monsters in all of Dungeons and Dragons, which is the Myconid. Those are, those are mushroom men. And I got this set of them that is from, um, a miniatures company that I've never bought from before, um, called Grabblecast. And these are some of my favorite miniatures that I've ever painted, um, a lot of these mushroom men have this very bland look where it's just like, okay, it's a mushroom. Uh, it looks creepy. Uh, it looks drippy. It's got some eyes on a mushroom with legs and two hands. Okay, we're good. Um, but these guys, they have real personality. Like there's there's this one um, in particular that I, that I want to describe that's a um, giant mushroom man, um, the size of like about twice the height of a normal adventurer miniature. And, uh, he's a big fat guy, uh, with a big club and he's got a pose that's like leaning on the club as if to say like, yeah, try me. Uh, and the thing I love the most about the miniature is it's just got this physique that says both like, uh, powerful and just like a real thick, <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that and one. He just is like a, a real, he's a thick real physique thick stack of mushroom man. Yeah, like it's. I've never seen a mushroom man miniature uh, that had such a big badonkadonk butt as this <laughs> as this particular one. Um, and it was really just a joy to paint. Uh, I I have on loan right now a um, compressed air um, spray machine. What do you call it? Uh, air, uh, air airbrush. And, um, there's this technique that I've learned with it called zenithal highlighting. That's really cool where you just basically spray the whole miniature black and then you take, uh, like a gray or a white and you spray that down at an angle at the miniature, uh, like white straight down at the top. And that, um, basically mimics the appearance of light coming down from above on the miniature. And then you paint over top of that. So you get all this wonderful highlighting built right in to the undercoat um, that you then paint over top of with semi-transparent paint. And the effect that you're able to get with that is really, really cool. And um, if you're on our Discord, I'll I'll share some pictures of my little mushroom men that I'm excited about. Uh, but yeah, it definitely has been a really fun experience. And now I'm putting all this thought into, well, how am I going to introduce these mushroom guys into my campaign? That's awesome. I, I love seeing those. They look really fun. And I wish I could uh, play a game with you with fight some of those gross mushroom men. They look awesome. Um, the thing that's making me happy this week that, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty simple. I just want to celebrate the humble pecan pie. This is this <laughs> is the time of year when, uh, you know, all of the, the fall desserts. People, people really lose all inhibition when it comes to desserts, right? They just... It is to absolutely throw caution to the wind and 
uh, the holidays starting with Thanksgiving, you know, it's pie time, guys. And uh, we had a we had a pecan pie here. And there is almost nothing in the world that I like better than a pecan pie. And I just wanted to say so, you know, in public, be on the record. I'm pro pecan pie. Uh, and that is what's making me happy this week. And uh, listeners, you are also making me happy this week. Thank you for listening to The Short Game. And I'd specifically say to our patrons, thank you. We're very thankful for you this uh, this holiday season. Uh, if you, listener, are not one of our patrons but would like to be, you can go to patreon.com slash theshortgame where you can support us at any level. And all of our supporters get an invite to our Discord, which is where we chat about the show, we prepare for episodes, we talk about the games that we're playing, we talk about things that we're not playing, we talk about all sorts of stuff. And it's a great place to hang out on the internet. I've been having a lot of fun with the Discord. We would love to have some more of you join us there. So uh, please head to theshortgame.net and click the Patreon link or go to patreon.com slash theshortgame and become one of our patrons. And we would really appreciate it. Uh, It's a good time for giving thanks to your favorite podcasts uh so thanks very much to you as well and of course you can find us on the internet at theshortgame.net or you can find us on twitter at underscore short game you can find me on twitter at reagan k that's r-a-y-g-a-n-k nate where can people find you on twitter at nate s-t-l and shane where can people find you on twitter at 8bit shane and uh, thank you for listening to the short game